Hello and welcome to She Says Says, the drums podcast in partnership with Frank and Lively and Scramble Studios. My name is Naomi Taylor and I am your host today. I'm joined by our fantastic partner, Marcy McClellan, founder of Frank and Lively Content Production Company. Not only that, Marcy has just recently released her first feature film, Apostasy, on which she was the producer all about a devout Jehovah's Witness family torn by religion. It's had rave reviews across the world at film festivals and in the press. It's been named by The Guardian as one of the top 10 films to watch this year. And it's had a rating of 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I have never seen before. It's mad. <laughs> um, so it's fantastic. So Marcy, welcome. Like, Were you expecting this kind of reaction to the film when it was first released? Well, first of all, thanks very much for having me behind the microphone. I'm usually uh, producing it the other way around. Did I expect it? It was such a long process and such sort of a passion project that was really unrelated to what we were doing in the content space for Frank and Lively. It, it was I had originally done my master's in filmmaking and production and had met Dan, who's the director of this film, during film school. So it's always been this ongoing passion project that kind of hoped would happen one day. And you get really close to it throughout that time and it becomes very difficult to measure it objectively. So, well, I hoped it would get this <laughs> kind of um, response. There were moments when I worried and moments when I was positive it would and um, what I think what's been a surprise is how far ranging the media coverage has been and how, you know, it's just been, as you said, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes is just, or tomatoes, I should say. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just mind-blowing and, and the audience itself um, has really contributed to that as well. So yeah, it's been really exciting. That's amazing. Congratulations. You were saying earlier, um, you know, it took a lot of time to get the project to where you wanted it to be. As the founder of your own business, what does that level of commitment mean? How can you, you know, complete the project and not put your life on hold? Um, well, it was, it was more difficult than I thought that I had gone into it with. At the time, I also had two small children uh, under five and was running my business and and trying to take on this film. And I suppose any one of those things could have been a full-time job. So obviously some things were sacrificed in that process <laughs> yes. and some tears were, were spent sending my kids off to school when I wasn't there on the first day. <laughs> but it's, it's ultimately a balance and everything I learned from the process of making the film feeds back into everything I do for my clients on the, the content side of things. And for me, it actually injected a lot more passion into what I'm doing for branded content because telling a story is telling a story. And I got really excited about, oh, wow, we could cast these type of people and we could do it in this type of setting. And it just, it also gave me access to a lot more directors and talent that I might not have otherwise had in the advertising space. So I guess it was trying to you know, multitask <laughs> as much as possible and, and just, you know, get as much as I could gain from it throughout the process. Yeah, talent in itself. Um, so we were speaking earlier about how, you know, lots of people are saying advertising is a dirty word. Is there a lot that your advertising projects have gained from your experience in filmmaking? Absolutely, because I think it, ultimately making films and then the artist, you know, the truly artistic among us are going to, deny this but ultimately you can't make a film if you don't have an audience and so there's still a product and there's still a product to be sold and there's still somebody at the end of the day wanting to make some money from it and so advertising is just about selling things now if you can sell what you believe in and if people enjoy watching or engaging with the material that you make while selling something you believe in then it's a win-win um, so I think this idea of just trying to manipulate people or trying to be aspirational is 
no longer anything that particularly the millennial generation wants to do. They don't want to trick people. They want to be artistic. They want to be creative. And I think if we can inspire people, whether that's with films or whether that's with branded content or, you know, 60-second social media shorts, then I think that advertising can reinvent itself and, and can still be relevant. Brilliant. So filmmaking is obviously very close to your heart. Uh, do you think it requires a strong business head? From a production point of view, yes. But I do think at any level you're going into it, you need a business head. One of the reasons I originally went through my master's to be um, a screenwriter, and when I started in that process, I met all these brilliant creative types that didn't know how to sell themselves, and they didn't know how to pitch themselves. And for me, it was like, oh, I can use my evil advertising skills for good here and, <laughs> and, and pitch them and sell them and help them to get funded. So I do think there's a few things missing, perhaps for the more artistic, so whether you're a writer or a director, there's, there's a bit of a push missing on their business skills of how they go out and they sell themselves and they're proud of selling themselves. But yeah, from a production standpoint, it's all business. It's just, as I said before, it's just you happen to believe what you're selling. So <laughs> it's much more enjoyable. And of course, we have to talk about women in filmmaking. Mm -hmm. You know, the lack of female involvement in these kind of senior creative roles result in very male-dominated films that often patronise and demean women unintentionally or otherwise. You know, it's 2018 can't believe we're still talking about this. Um, Male-dominated industries, totally depressing. What do you think needs to happen to make a change towards more equality and representation in filmmaking? Well, I think the reality is you look at women in VR and women in film and women in advertising and women in tech. I mean, the, the reality is, you know, across many, many disciplines, there's not enough representation of women at the top that are making, you know, the powerful decisions that, that influence change. Why I think to me it's more passionate, I'm, I'm particularly passionate about trying to promote women in film and women in advertising is because I think film and advertising shapes so much of who we are as a society based yes. on what we're being inundated with and what we consume. So as you said, malicious or well-intentioned, if, if everyone at the top is white men funding films made by white men, um, even if they're great films and they're telling really passionate stories, then, then women's stories still get lost. Quite a while ago, I decided to ban watching any films with um, rape scenes or violence against women as the as the character's motivation. And once you stop doing that, <laughs> there's very few empowering female stories. So Apostasy, um, which is the name of the film, ended up being really rewarding because Dan, although he happens to be a white man in this case, <laughs> um, was raised in a very patriarchal religion and he was very uncomfortable with how women were treated within that faith. And so this film completely uh, passes the Bechdel test. It's um, three women, three lead female roles. Yeah. And they're they're talking about their relationships with one another and relationships with their faith. And, you know, it's, it's not a typical rom-com in that sense. What I was surprised by was I was all guns, you know, blazing. Oh, I'm going to have almost entirely 100% female crew on this. And it is hard, actually. It is. It takes an effort to mm. make sure that the makeup of your crew is is represented and and not everyone has the passion to to put in that effort and um, I did and I was very pleased to end up with 50% female crew yeah. um, which identified sort of gaps in training schemes where there was hardly like right at the bottom the runners there was they didn't even have females applying for you know training schemes at that level um, so from a training perspective we only crewed up women and and for every other position that we could possibly hope to attain, we we wanted to crew up women. We did come across a lot of barriers with childcare, and it frustrates me as a, a working mom who's has a stay-at-home husband. 
um, that many women that we really wanted involved in this project had to pass because because um, they had small children. And n- not that our production wouldn't allow for that because we would have provided childcare, but that the industry itself is still limited in that sense. Yeah. And you were saying, you know, it was difficult to find an equal kind of career. Is that, it's not because there's a lack of talent. It's more, do you think that women are holding back? Do you think that they just think, oh, I'm not going to, I would never get it anyway? I, it's definitely not a lack of talent. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, I don't know why the typical ways of finding people don't seem to be as relevant. Um, what's happened recently is there's called a, a BAFTA, I think it's BAFTA 255, but it's a Facebook group. And what happened was BAFTA had this sort of female directors program and they sent out, and for those who didn't get through, they sent out an email and they accidentally CC'd everyone. And so suddenly <laughs> there was all these women kind of going, oh, you didn't there. make it, but we found you. And so you <laughs> see more women cropping up and and marketing themselves in that way. I think Part of the legacy of the old system is that if you were to hire someone who just did that last film that you loved and they were head of production design and you loved the way they did the set, it tends to be that you hire that person and they bring with them every person they've worked with so far. They have their own little teams. Yeah. So it's kind of like in the advertising world, you'd hire a copywriter and an art director and they come together. So if you bring on our production designer and he brings his whole team you know, that wasn't his priority. He wasn't factoring on having, you know, a, actually, in his case, he did have a female <laughs> female team, but as an example. So I think it's really about shaking that up and and giving yourself plenty of time to find the right people. In the world of production, it's, it all needs to be done in five minutes. Um, so it's, you got to, you got to yeah. start finding those people before you even start production. Do you think there's enough forums for people to find different people to be on crews and, and shake things up, as you just said? So, is there enough opportunity and sort of platforms available for to find people? There are, but I think there, there can be a lot more. This podcast talked to Raising Films previously as well about ways mm-hmm. to kind of shake up the system for people who, who do have children and are um, restricted mm-hmm. with their hours or their schedules in that way. Um, but I still think a lot more needs to be done. People like Directors UK and a few organisations are are making that effort and we'll see more from BAFTA and BFI and the other organisations stepping up as well. Um, so hopefully, you know... Hopefully. Next five years or so. (laughs) So the BFI, um, funny you mentioned it, they recently announced um, its commitment to diversity across the film industry, uh, telling movie makers they must meet new targets for ethnic minority, gay and female characters on screen to be eligible for future funding. Do you think that's working? Do you think there needs to be more of that? I think it's a great starting point, and it was the same requirement for apostasy, so we wouldn't get funding without those that diversity list being checked. At the time, they were calling it three ticks, so you had to have diversity in the front of the camera, behind the camera, and also proved sort of a legacy that you might leave behind of, mm. of bringing people up through the ranks. I think the tricky thing about that, which is across every conversation about diversity, is it includes women, which is 50% of the population. <laughs> and then it includes ethnic diversity and class. Yeah. And, you know, it really it goes way across the board. Yeah. But I do think limiting funding is the, is the only way that that's actually going to make a change. If you're not funded without doing it, then you have to do it. And I think that's, that's a strong action that they're taking. Yeah, brilliant. And what would your advice be to any aspiring female filmmakers? Well, my advice would be to produce. <laughs> but the reason being is um, it's a tricky world. So once you, if you were to be a writer and you sell your story, once you've sold it, it's gone. And how it's interpreted and how it's then brought to life on screen, 
is beyond your control. You literally sign your rights away. So if you can't be in control of the process, which even as a producer you can't, because there's always somebody that gave you the money <laughs> to do yeah. it, that you're, you're trying to please to some degree. You don't have to, to sell out, but you do have to factor them in. Pander, some would say. I'm not going to say pander, but it, it's not that it's, it's an irrelevant word. <laughs> but it's really finding teams you trust. I think that is, and if that means, you know, starting small. I got a little bit bored of doing shorts and stuff, but actually shorts do work, documentaries, do what you believe in, but find people you absolutely trust and put that down on paper of how you intend to work together and how do you intend to support each other. But if you're, particularly for women in the industry, just ask. I mean, there's so many people willing to help and give advice and point you in the right direction. Uh, It will take a long time. And I do think that um, working in the advertising world to kind of fund those passion projects um, can be a really nice balance. Um, but yeah, just don't give up, really. I know it sounds a bit yeah. lame, but... <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> and throughout the process of apostasy, what were some of the things that you did that you'd maybe not do again? Were any sort of challenges that you'd face and would would you have acted differently in a different situation? Or I think I definitely would have found sort of team A and team B for my crew well in advance. Um, because mm-hmm. the difficulty with the funding process is you never quite know when you're actually going to go into production and start filming. So by the time we did get the green light to start filming, we were a bit scrambling to find our crew. And that's where the time we might have otherwise had to find more senior women in the production, we could have done that. So I would start building a roster now of everyone I'd love to work with one day or, you know, in the next six months and just have that available. And and I imagine I'm not the only one. So somehow (laughs) those could be shared. Yeah, I think that would be valuable. I would also, I love the cast we ended up with. So this is not a reflection at all on, on the fabulous stars of this film, but I would be more tempted to find talent in unknown places. One of the things I find in sort of changing the way women are portrayed in film is, how am I going to put this? There's a lot of conventionally beautiful women (laughs) that are coming to auditions. (laughs) And while they deserve a role as much as anyone else, I would have also liked to see other types of people from different backgrounds come forward as well. So again, it's no reflection on Molly and Sasha in this film. They were absolutely the right people. But I, it was something that I discovered in the in the audition process that there's a certain type yeah. <laughs> that make it this far. And um, yeah, it'd be nice to see more diversity in that respect. Brilliant. Thank you. I feel like we could talk all day on the <laughs> subject. Um, but quickly, before we wrap up, uh, can we talk about your favourite films? And what can you recommend for us to watch? Yeah, um... I should have a better answer to this because I get asked this a lot. I tend to be the ones I've just seen. I am surprised to recommend God's Own Country, not because it's not a great film, and I love the director Francis Lee, but because it's a film about men made by men, spectacularly fails the Bechdel test. Um, <laughs> but it's a really great film, challenging misogyny and patriarchy and how yeah. people, you know, how it happens to be about two gay men, but that's not, yeah. you know, it's not just dealing with that issue I I found that quite interesting Mm. I'm also going to throw out there a TV series on Netflix at the moment it's called Dietland oh interesting and that one is uh, it sneaks up on you and it's it's feminist message and Mm. uh, so if you can make it to the end of series one I think it's (laughs) it's it's worth watching I'll add them both to my Netflix (laughs) (laughs) thanks again Marcy that was brilliant so now it's time to thank our partners Frank and Lively, she says, and Scramble Studios. And thank you to you, dear listener. We hope you tune in to our next episode.